0: from my time, but I would like to lead us in a song. Let's all stand, too. It'd be, it'd be very and advantageous to us. You've been sitting and listening very well. <clears throat>
1: Let's turn to number 523. <clears throat> there is beyond the azure blue our God concealed from human sight, He tinted skies with heavenly hue and framed the worlds with His great mind. There is, there is a God. He is alive. In Him we live, and we survive from dust. Our God created man. He is our God. a long, long time ago a God whose voice the prophets heard He is the God that we should know who speaks from His inspired word There is a God God. He is alive In Him we live And we survive from dust our God Created man, He is our God, the Great I Am, our God who son upon a tree a life was willing there to give that He from sin I set man free, and evermore with Him could live. There is a God, He is alive, in Him we live, and we survive from dust, our God, created man, He is our God, the great I Am.
0: Amen. Be seated. It's why we are here, it's why you are taking the time and the opportunity to uh, assemble together over the open word is because our God is alive. I wanted to uh, say that tomorrow we are going to, uh, in the Bible class hour, talk about how we can study the Bible for all that it's worth. It's the only lesson in this series that will not throughout be based upon a single text. Uh, but in, in, in different circumstances we might have begun uh, the uh, meeting with that lesson it's kind of the cart and the horse and, and yet I think it will be still helpful where it is it'll be a reboot to the day as we start tomorrow and explain to some maybe who aren't here today in the worship hour we're going to talk about uh, how, uh, how great is our God we're going to talk about the greatness of God from one of the great Old Testament chapters And then we're going to talk about being homesick for a place to which we've not even been. We're going to talk about the wonderful place called heaven. At the end of this lesson, we are going to provide an opportunity for those perhaps who have been for some time considering the need to be obedient to the gospel, uh, to uh, act on your faith that Jesus is the Son of God, understanding that this sacrifice was uh, imperative for us to go to heaven, and thank you for that, Uh, and uh, are ready to act on faith that causes you to change your mind, that leads to a change of actions, which the Bible calls repentance. Repentance includes godly sorrow, but it also includes changing the mind. Turning involves a different way of living, a new Lord, a new master in life. That leads one to be able to confess with the mouth Jesus, unto salvation, Romans 10 and verse 10, that causes one to be baptized. The Bible says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. It says, Repent and be baptized for the remission or forgiveness of sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. Baptism causes us to have our sins washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. It causes us to come into Christ, to be clothed with Christ, Galatians 3, 27. Peter says it bluntly and simply. Baptism is a culminating part of this plan, not by itself, but it is that which saves us. And so, if you have not in, in its entirety obeyed God's simple plan of salvation, at the end of this lesson, we're warmly inviting you to respond to heaven's invitation. I don't know if we have a song leader or a song uh, picked out. Uh, if, if that individual is identifying himself, um, we'll... You be prepared to sing. We're going to sing a song to encourage you. And if it is a need that you want to respond to publicly, please do so. If it is a need that you want to respond to privately, Heaven's Invitation is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There are so many who will be willing and ready to help you in that. And if you're a child of God and you realize that life is not being lived in the light, but rather that you're struggling... Living in the darkness. But you want to put that away. I want you to consider the prodigal son. The one who had gone so far and had done so much. Who believed that his father would would not perhaps forgive him. Learned otherwise. When he began to make the trip back home. His father had been waiting for him. He ran to him. He threw his arms around him. Hugged him. Embraced him. Kissed him. And did not make him a hired servant. But made him once more a son. Restored into his position. If you're struggling with sin or with the difficulties of life, and it's bigger than you can handle alone, and you want your brothers and sisters to be praying to God on your behalf, we would love to serve you in that way. So at the end of this service, we'll give you that opportunity. might want to call out a song number that we can be marking? Number 103, if you want to go ahead and mark that. Brother Franklin Camp was one of my favorite preachers and he would often say that so many of the difficulties that we face in this life would be solved if we would just sit at the foot of the cross. He says that if you look at your own life or at a church's life and there's division, you don't really have a division problem. If there's a problem with folks not assembling as they ought to, you don't have an attendance problem. If there are worldly issues that you're struggling with, you don't have a worldliness problem. You have the problem of having not spent enough time at the foot of the cross. And I don't think we can ever do that sufficiently. So I don't know that any series of lessons is complete without making reference to the cross. Now this lesson is not going to be as we might traditionally engage in a lesson on the crucifixion of Jesus, but we're going to be looking at the implications of that in our lives as we go about living day by day. That's what we're striving to do. There's a text for that. God has addressed this in His Word so that we can be better equipped to handle the challenges that we all face. 2005. There was a man that you see before you by the name of John Brandick, and John Brandick had some severe issues that drove him to the doctor. And when he got there, they diagnosed him with terminal pancreatic cancer. In fact, he was told that he would die within the year. People respond to that news in different ways, but what Brandick did was he quit his job. He sold his car and most of his clothes. He started spending his life saving. He ate at expensive restaurants. He went on extravagant trips. And he was just spending money hand over foot. And and day turned into week and weeks turned into months and months turned into a year. And Brandick was still alive. Brandick went back to the doctor to find out why he hadn't died. And as they began to examine him, they found out that he did not have terminal pancreatic cancer. He had inflammation of the pancreas. And guess what Brandick did next? He sued the hospital for misdiagnosing him. And how sad that it took a diagnosis of death before Brandick decided to live. But I think our world faces the opposite situation. We are surrounded by people who tell us that we are spiritually okay. That we are not going to spiritually die and that we should live it up. And yet, the Bible tells us that because of sin, we find ourselves, all of us, in a terminal condition. Romans three ten. There's none righteous, no, not one. Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For as by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. Romans chapter five would indicate to us, there's not a just person upon earth that does good and does not sin. Ecclesiastes chapter seven and verse twenty. And we know that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. First John five and verse nineteen. And with that firmly in view, the question is, when we understand that we are terminal, will we go to the perfect position and decide to live? The Apostle Paul says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. As it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where then is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the world? Hath not God made the wisdom of this world foolish? For after that end, the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to us who are saved. Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18-25. through 25. As we look at that text, we see the Apostle Paul appealing to the fact that the cross and its preaching is necessary if we are going to reach the world There's an easy tie between the cross and evangelism. That we see that we have died to self and to sin and we live again to Christ. That growing out of that appreciation of the debt that's been paid for us that was insurmountable. Matthew 21. It's huge. In a thousand lifetimes we couldn't pay it. But one already paid it for us. And there's an outgrowth of that that's going to cause a compassion and a concern to live in our hearts and in our lives that drives us out to the people that we know who are needing the very thing that we have already received. Because of that, there's a response that God wants from us. As we look at this text in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25, there are three great truths that I want to mention briefly and the lesson is yours. And the question that is asked is, will the cross of Christ be made void? These words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 through 25 come in a context. The Apostle Paul has introduced the idea that they were living in Corinth in a very divided world. In fact, if you want to know what 1 Corinthians is all about, the key passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. There's a petition verb user, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body. No, no, I'm sorry. He says, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, "I, I, I, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul saw that there was a problem, and he urged the people. To put it away, there were quarrels among them. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 11. And what was Paul's solution to the problem? Of all the things he's going to deal with, it flows out of this. That they needed to spend more time looking at the cross of Jesus. As we do that this morning, we think about the fact that our world is as hopelessly divided as Paul's world was. There are divisions among or between believers. There are divisions between believers and unbelievers. But everybody is operating from some worldview, regardless of race or religion or lack of religion. Everybody is looking to something to power and to move their lives along. And Paul says, let's introduce the cross because that's the purpose. That's the centerpiece of life. Out of that, I'd like us to notice three things. So that the cross of Christ is not made void or of none effect. The first thing that we need to recognize as we look at this text is that there is a perishing world in need. The Apostle Paul points to the fact that there are individuals who are in need of gospel truth. And so he points out the cross as the answer to that. We realize that the world is in need, but so often the world doesn't understand the need that it's in. There are so many folks who uh, we are surrounded with every day, and it's amazing. And, and, and I forget the sea of humanity. I have been to Bangkok, Thailand, and Atlanta traffic reminds me about as much of that as anywhere. Bangkok's one of the big cities of the world. People everywhere. My GPS has led me several different ways around the area here. I was, came here one way. I went home a different way. I came a different way today, and I'm sure it'll take me back a, th- a fourth way today. But there's so many roads because there's so many people on those roads. And everybody that we pass everywhere that we are have a never-dying soul that's going to stand before Christ in the judgment and go somewhere. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 7, 13 and 14 that most of them are going unprepared and will stand on the Lord's left side and will hear Him say, Depart from me forever. There's a perishing world in me. But not everybody who's in that boat got in there the same way. You know, when you think about the fact that we think about the needs that we have physically, we've drawn that analogy once today. There are some people who are perishing who are not experiencing any symptoms. I don't know if I have any hypochondriacs out there. But what you can do is there's there's an article, and I forget, I think it's Nutrition Magazine. Uh, maybe it's prevention, I think it's prevention, that that said there's six common ailments that have almost no symptoms until it's too late. That's a warm and fuzzy read right there, isn't it? And it's things like high blood pressure, sleep apnea, it's ovarian cysts, it's lung cancer, it's glaucoma and, and diabetes. And the thing is, most of society struggles with one or more of those ailments. And the good news is that if you go and you seek attention, you can have those things addressed and you can manage your life, maybe live longer as the result of that. But you know, the Apostle Paul in various of his writings mentions that there are a great many people that we see and encounter every day who are spiritually dead and don't even know it. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 and 19 says they have their understanding darkened. They are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the the lust that they pursue and their, their past feeling, he says in Ephesians 4, 18 and 19. There are a lot of folks who don't even know where they are spiritually and they're relying on you and me to, as we build rapport and relationship with them to help them to understand that those symptoms... That they're not feeling are still there there are also those who ignore their symptoms now you think about those six conditions that we meant that we just mentioned a moment ago there are ways to deal with those or but sometimes with these particular uh, illnesses that folks encounter or have in their lives or heart disease and cancer people have indicators they have warnings but what do we do sometimes? When, when we understand, we begin to, to sense these things, we, we just ignore it. We hope it will go away. or Maybe it will get better on its own. You know, there are so many folks who have a hole that's Christ-sized in their hearts and in their lives. And as they look to try to fill that, they are, are ignoring the, the real solution. And they are, they're like Solomon and they're looking anywhere and everywhere for a different cure. They're ignoring the, the solution that's there. And then we find ourselves in the situation where people don't know what to do with their symptoms. There are folks who don't have access to health care. There are folks who don't know who to talk to. They don't get consultation or maybe it's beyond their reach. There are places in the world where folks can die of the simplest things because they don't have access. There are so many folks who just don't know what to do. And I think about so many of those folks that are perishing. This perishing world that's in need that Paul mentions in this paragraph. That those who are perishing have an answer, but they don't know what to do. And if somebody were to try to find the solution, and even were to think in terms of the Bible, and even were to think in terms of the spiritual, and to think about Christendom, in this great vast place in which you live, and they were to get in their car and they were to drive and they would go to church after church and look for an answer to the problems that they're facing, are they going to hear New Testament answers? Are they going to hear the right cure? See, God has given us His Word and as we come to rightly divide that 2 Timothy 2.15, we're in a position to help people who don't know where to turn, don't know what to do, but we do. Oh, we don't say that arrogantly. We should always approach it by saying we're fellow students and mean that. And open up God's Word and see what it says. I had it said to me a long time ago that it's never a matter of who's right. It's a matter of what's right. It's not me against you. It's what's right. And what's right is the Word of God. And we can trust that. Let's appeal to that and to the Christ of the Bible to find our answers. But there are also those who procrastinate dealing with symptoms, I'm not trying to pick on men. I are one. But you know, when I think about what is true, I have to just share it. And men are about half as likely as women to go to the doctor. We're too busy. We're not comfortable talking with the doctor. We're afraid of what the doctor's going to say. I mean, it's anecdotal. Everywhere I've ever lived, including in my house, you hear this being said that, that men just don't like to go to the doctor. We... we, we Procrastinate. We're going to get around to it. But you know when it comes to spiritual things, it's men and women. It's young and old. It's rich and poor. Who say to Jesus, at least through their actions, Go your way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. Acts chapter 24 and verse 25. But Then there is also another category, and this may be the saddest of all. These, there are those who look at their symptoms with helplessness and despair. You know, that's true. Some folks say, maybe when they're thinking about their health physically, I'm just, I'm, I'm beyond all hope. I just might as well give up. There's nothing I can do. Do people do that spiritually? God couldn't forgive me. I've gone too far. I've done too much. Surely He could not reach me with His grace. You know, when you look at this particular paragraph, it's a perishing world in need. The the masses of those that we see are on the wrong side of the grace of our Lord. And so Paul points that out. We've got to recognize that it exists, this perishing world in need, and it needs to be a part of our conviction. It needs to be part of our consciousness that every day as we interact where we are, that God wants us engaging them, this perishing world in need then second, there's a saving message to preach. And that really seems to be the focus of this paragraph. The Apostle Paul is showing us where the saving power is. It's in the message of the cross that he's preaching. And when you think about this saving message, there is a message that Paul was determined to share. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, he said, "Now, brethren, when I came to you, came not the excellency of speech or persuasive words, that your faith should not rest in the power of men, but in the wisdom of God. I determined not to know anything among you, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. In that passage there in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, Paul said, I know what the remedy is. And the remedy is not a charismatic personality. It doesn't just reside in a preacher." It doesn't just reside in a few. It is something that all of us having access to the Word have. There's a saving message that the world is literally dying to hear. When I look at the Apostle Paul, I see that the Apostle Paul chooses some things not to be the center of his message. For example, his message according to verse 19 through 21 was not human wisdom. He did not rely on the words that that came from him, his cleverness, his persuasiveness. But instead, it was the words of heavenly wisdom. You know, it's really interesting as as you look, you see the Apostle Paul remedying so many different problems that existed at Corinth by the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross was not preaching on the crucifixion every time. It's everything that you walk through 1 Corinthians and you see. What does Paul deal with? He deals with uh, divisions because of personalities. He deals with sexual immorality. He deals with people taking pride in their gifts and their abilities. There's divisions over uh, worship matters. There's division over uh, the role of women. There's division over the resurrection. There's division over giving. All of that Paul is preaching the cross and what grows out of the cross. But it wasn't human wisdom. But then there was also the idea that he was not preaching what the people wanted. Verse 22. If Paul had taken the poll of the Jews and the Gentiles, he would not have preached the cross. He would have preached the signs. He would have preached the wisdom of the world. The Apostle Paul did not resort to that. There's a pressure that we feel. When we're in a one-on-one situation or even preachers, there's a pressure to preach what we think that people want. It is a sickness that has infected the religious world as a whole. The culture doesn't want to hear what the Bible has to say about human sexuality. Doesn't want to hear what it says about reproductive rights. Doesn't want to hear what it says about drugs and alcohol. And the same is true with regard to even the pressures that we can feel within the body of Christ. There's a pressure to conform to what the religious world believes with regard to some of those matters. And some of the matters that we've mentioned earlier. Like gender roles and the plan of salvation. Those kinds of matters. Or how we worship God. But we understand that what Paul shows us by example is we preach what God has said and it may come into conflict and it often does with what people want to hear. Then there's also the idea that we don't just preach what people are comfortable with. The Apostle Paul in his message is preaching the grace and salvation of our Lord. He's also preaching those things that are uncomfortable and that challenge us to grow. I love preaching. What I'm preaching tomorrow afternoon is perhaps my favorite subject. And I love preaching on the grace of God and I love preaching on salvation and peace and forgiveness. It's part of the whole counsel of God. And depending on your background, you may not have heard that as much growing up as you needed to hear. Maybe you heard more of the harder side of the gospel. But you know God has expectations God has requirements of us. It's a part of that balanced life of living in Christ. And it's the answer to the void that people have in their lives. There is a message to be preached. A clear message. And the Apostle Paul shows us that it is to be preached. But then in the, in the light of that, will the cross of Christ be made void? We need to understand that there is a perishing world in need. And there is a message to be preached. But there is also a clear choice to be made. And this is how Paul begins to end that paragraph. In fact, as you walk through that paragraph, there are a series of contrasts. There's the wisdom of this world and there's the wisdom of God. There's wisdom and there's foolishness. There's the foolishness of preaching and there is the wisdom of this world. And all these things come into conflict and the Apostle Paul lays those out there and he says there's a choice that you've got to make between those. But it's a clear choice. When you begin to see those contrasts that we're talking about here, Paul continues that idea in chapter 2. And the contrast there is between the natural man and the spiritual man. And the spiritual man has his heart and his mind open to what God has to say. But the natural man can't receive it. And Paul gives the the most extreme example of that in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. He said, which none of the rulers of this world knew. For had they known this spiritual message, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It was an ignorance of this that caused Jesus to have to die. And then this contrast extends to his day and it extends to our day. We're either going to be a spiritual man or a natural man. But the natural man does not receive the things of God. When we begin to think about the natural man, the natural man does not accept the message of the cross. Maybe he doesn't believe that it's for him. He hears that message and he goes, that's, that's good for my spouse, that's good for my children and for my parents, but it's not what I need. Or perhaps he doesn't believe it. Maybe he believes it's a, a myth or a fairy tale, or, or maybe he doesn't want to believe it because if he chooses to believe it, it means he's going to have to make changes in his life. Paul says it's a choice that we have to make. We're going to make it no matter what. Even if we don't decide to obey that message of the cross, we've still made a choice. About 20 years ago in Louisville, Kentucky, there was a man who was on trial for murdering his girlfriend. And it was a very difficult case, and I don't know all the details of the case, but... The finally the case was presented to the jury and they had to make a decision between murder and manslaughter. And as it was handed to them and as they deliberated and debated, finally somebody had the bright idea that they were going to flip a coin. And they said, whatever it says, heads it's murder, tails it's manslaughter. And they did that and somehow the judge found out. And the media found out and there was outrage. And as you might imagine, there was a mistrial People said, how could you take the life of somebody and reduce what happens to them to a flip of the coin? So often, isn't that what happens with Jesus? Is he the Savior or is he not? Is he to be followed or is he not? Paul is presenting here with the preaching of the cross. There's a clear choice to be made. And what are you going to decide as the natural man or the spiritual man? Is he the Christ or not? When I think about the message of the cross and the the choice that it presents, I think about the elements of what happened at the cross. There's the physical torture. Again, as I was in Israel on one of our trips, we walked through the valley that goes across... From Mount of Olives up into the city where Jesus on that hill somewhere would have been crucified. And it begins in Gallicantu, is a, is a very plausible thing to think as Jesus is arrested and he's being examined throughout the night. And you think about what happens to him after his arrest and they're slapping him and they're mocking him. And then he goes and he stands before Pilate and he is scourged and he is examined by Herod and he comes back and he goes through the torture of the cross. There's not just the physical torture. There's the mental anguish that Jesus went through as He's mocked and He's ridiculed and as He's cursed. There's the social embarrassment that He goes through as He's spat upon and as He's stripped of His clothing and as He hangs there exposed between heaven and earth. That's the choice that we confront when we obey the gospel. It's a choice that needs to be presented to those who are perishing and in need of the gospel. Not long ago, one of my friends passed away. He was a renaissance man. His name was Elwood Fisher. He was a veteran of World War II. He was a very educated man. He had his uh, PhD in horticulture. And he was uh, often used as a fill-in guest on a nationally syndicated uh, program called In the Garden. Uh, he was also a horticulture expert he taught at Virginia Tech but he had the greatest collection of antique fruits in North America voted by his peers and he planted it all in three acres behind his house I held a couple of meetings there in Harrisonburg Virginia where he lived and as I was there walking and seeing his particular collection he had antique fruits that's what he loved was antique plants and he showed me various ones and they went back a couple of thousand years in some cases. He had one particular plant he was most proud of. It was a Jerusalem thorn bush. And the best that they could determine from, uh, that you can do through that discipline, he determined that it was believed to have been a plant that would have been contemporary with the time of Christ. I don't know how you examine a bush, maybe like you do a tree. They felt it was validated as much as it could be validated. It was about this time he began to tell me about another point in his life. He had grown up in the church, but he and his wife had taken a job in a city in another place where there was no church and they fell away for a couple of generations. They had children. Those children were not members of the church because they were wayward at that time. But in the last several years of their life, they were restored. And everybody said that they were the most active members of that congregation. That's the man I was talking to that day. and I don't know if it's middle child or just... I know I pass it along to my boys. What do you do when you see a thorn? Well, what I was going to do is I was going to just stick my thumb on it just to see if it was as sharp as it looked. He stopped me. And what this elderly man did was he took that wrinkled thumb and he pressed it against that thorn. And he said for me, for me. He understood that he had been saved but that he had become lost but he was saved again. And what drove him was the personal nature as he looked at the sacrifice of Jesus that what happened at Calvary happened for him. And that's the clear choice that we're trying to share with men and women and all who can understand. That Jesus loves everyone so much that if they were the only one, He would have died for them. When I look at the message of the cross, I see this perishing world in need. I see this clear message that's to be preached and there's a clear choice that's to be made. I'm confronted with what to do that message on August 16th 1987 there was a plane crash that you might remember Northwest Airlines was still in business and in Detroit Michigan 155 people died that plane crashed shortly after takeoff it crashed on a highway very near the airport and as they were sifting through the wreckage on that day they found that there was actually one survivor A four-year-old girl named Celicia. And as they were trying to ascertain what took place and why it is, her name was Cecilia, that she had survived, they were at first thinking that she must have been in one of the cars on the highway. They couldn't believe it. But she was old enough, four years old, that she could tell them exactly what happened. So she began to recount how it was that she survived. She said, as the plane was going down, in a four-year-old vocabulary, as the plane was going down, her mother got out of her seat and wrapped her arms around her and shielded her and saved her with her own body being sacrificed. And that's a beautiful story. It would seem to fit with maternal instincts that are almost universal. Except there's one problem as they analyze the wreckage what they found out is that Cecilia's mother was found two or three rows away it was a woman who they don't even know knew that little girl but saw her in that vulnerable position and decided that she would try to save that little girl's life and she did as far as I know Cecilia is still alive today I think that makes the story even more beautiful not the, the mother of that child a stranger who said I'm going to die in the hopes that this little girl might live I love the truth of that I love the truth that it illustrates even more Jesus though he didn't, was not obligated to do so Jesus wanted to die for you and me and gave himself in the hopes that we might live that's a message too good to keep to ourselves it's a message everybody needs It's a message that begins with your personal response to it. If you need to respond to this invitation and obey the truth of that message, why not do that at this time? And as we go from this place, let's find somebody that we can focus on and share with them this great message of the cross. If this is your invitation and you need to respond to it, won't you come right now as together we stand and sing.